Hello, I'm Dr. Brian G.M. Dury. Welcome to our podcast, aptly named Conversations with Dr. Dury. This podcast is brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. Today, I will be speaking with Sue Dunnett, who is Senior Lecturer in the Business School at the University of Edinburgh, and she is going to talk about what it means to be resilient. So I'm very pleased to uh, welcome everyone to uh, this discussion about resilience. Uh, right now, I'm pleased to welcome uh, Sue Dunnett, who is a senior lecturer in the business school at the University of uh, Edinburgh in Scotland. And uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Sue. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And so uh, it's... Uh, Interesting to to ponder why uh, Sue Dunnett in a business school is is interested in uh, resilience and how might resilience be important for patients with myeloma. And so perhaps, Sue, you could start by arcing back a little bit in history and how you came to be connected with uh, myeloma and subsequently with uh, the importance of resilience. Sure. Working for the International Myeloma Foundation here in the UK was actually my first job out of university, and it was one that I loved. So I loved working with myeloma patients and support groups, and I helped set up some support groups here in the UK. And then I went back into university to further my kind of academic side of my career. And I then knew that actually what I wanted to do was keep my connection to myeloma and to people living with myeloma and my PhD um, actually was focused in on how people live with myeloma and how support groups specifically allow those living with myeloma to navigate the healthcare market. And what that means in terms of when someone is a patient and they become a consumer in the healthcare market. And I did that research in the support groups of Wisconsin with a wonderful leader called Chuck Coville, who, who led the, the Madison support group in Wisconsin. So despite the fact that I did my PhD here in Scotland, I've actually always researched and worked with the wonderful IMS community in the States and worked with support groups there. And then when, when that project was over, I began working at, at Edinburgh University in the business school because my PhD is in a business subject. Uh, thinking about consumer research really is my area. So how culture and, and other factors affect our lives as consumers. I think particularly what I'm interested in with healthcare is access to the healthcare market and how the, the idea of being a consumer rather than being a patient changes the fundamental nature of healthcare. And it's quite interesting being someone who's from Scotland in the UK, where we have a socialised service, it's quite interesting doing that comparison with your kind of marketised healthcare in the state. So that's where my interest has been there for many years. And so obviously you became very intimately involved with uh, the details of uh, myeloma patients, uh, the impact of the diagnosis and uh, the difficulties often in uh, trying to uh, achieve the best care. And so uh, maybe you could uh, move forward uh, and, and uh, explain a little bit of the, the notion of resilience and uh, how did that arise as an area of particular focus for you? Yeah, sure. So some years ago now, 
when I when I was working when I'm, I'm still working at, at University of Edinburgh, I decided that w- what I really had loved doing was research with the IMF and the myeloma community, and I was I was interested in how people living with an illness, whether they're a caregiver or whether they're a patient themselves, how they lead support groups at the same time as dealing with their own illness, and what propels them to do that, what allows them to be motivated to help others, and then are there any barriers to helping others in that support group setting. So my next project kind of focused on leadership in that area. And one of the things that I asked everyone that I interviewed, I interviewed about 20 support group leaders from across the USA, was what keeps you going? Because I think, you know, people who are in that leadership position, and it's not simply patients and caregivers, obviously are professional um, services and people that provide that, um, who are social workers or nurses or uh, other forms of medical workers, they, they can feel a certain sense of burnout in that process if they've been doing it for a number of years. It is emotional labor, and so it's quite it can be quite taxing. So I was interested in this idea of what keeps you going. And the support group leaders that I interviewed talked a lot about factors which I would have called resilience, but they were they were describing as being quite normal and quite ex- they, they would expect themselves to behave in this way, to keep going for other people, to use inner reserves to keep going. So I explored resilience in leadership initially. So what kept them going specifically as people leading a group initially? And then, so that was work that I presented at the Support Group Leaders Summit, which is an annual event where support group leaders come together. So that allowed me to share insight on on how I believe they were motivated and what barriers they faced and so on. And then I suppose the interest in resilience just continued. Right. I do remember that presentation, which I think uh, did have a, a big impact on the on the leaders present. Uh, this was in 2018, in the summer of 2018. And at that meeting, uh, uh, we bring together uh, about 100 of group leaders from across the country. And so I think this uh, did have a, a big impact and uh, made the, the leaders and the patients, uh, everyone there, focus a little bit m- more about what is the meaning of this world uh, word uh, resilience and uh, potentially how important it is in uh, addressing all the different concerns and questions and the ability to to keep going in the face of adversity of all types yeah yeah and i think i think resilience i mean it is resilience is a little bit of a buzzword at the moment but i think sort of concepts come in and out of fashion i think it is because it's actually quite a useful term for me the idea of resilience is as you say kind of adapting to circumstances so it's not necessarily resilience the important thing for me is resilience is not necessarily about totally overcoming something which as we know people living with myeloma cannot control and they cannot necessarily totally overcome myeloma so the idea of being resilient I think is particularly pertinent when living with with illness because it requires so much from the individuals and those around them in terms of emotional energy, in terms of physical ability, in terms of physical energy, in terms of stamina. And so resilience is something that I see as, as kind of a process of adapting, but not that sense of bouncing back. I think sometimes the idea that resilience is about bouncing back. I think these profound fundamental experiences like serious illness, they change us. So we're not necessarily bouncing right back to where we were. So that's kind of what resilience means to me. Yeah, very, very important distinction. Uh, but you've emph- emphasized a few points there. So so resilience is very much a, an active process. It's not, jumping, not just something that's there. Obviously, it seems that, that some people are naturally more resilient than others. Uh, but 
But for most of us, I think it's a, a skill that can be recognized and kind of worked on to try to improve the ability to cope in, in, in various ways. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think learning, uh, whether that's about myeloma, whether that's about the, the treatments or, or other ways of living with myeloma, definitely factor into that kind of building of resilience. And I think, yeah, I like the word you use, it's kind of active process there rather than, you know, someone is resilient or they're not. And also, I like to think of it as being distinct from being positive. I know that there can be a lot of pressure on people dealing with any sort of adversity to think positively and that will dramatically change the situation. Well, there are some situations which, of course, can be shifted mentally by thinking positively, but they don't necessarily fundamentally change. And resilience is not simply about thinking positively. It's, it is much more of a kind of process, a set of skills, an attitude and a, and a way of thinking. And it is learned rather than, if you like, a particular demeanor that you can adopt. Moving forward from that presentation in 2018 in the summer, uh, in the intervening months, uh, you came up with a, a new idea which related to asking uh, leaders and patients uh, to submit uh, pictures for a, a project that related to resilience. Uh, do you want to explain to our listeners uh, how you came up with that and, and the details of, of this project? Sure. Well, it just came to me one day. I kind of I was wanting to explore resilience a little bit more and thinking about how I could do that and how I could do something that might be actually useful and valuable practically along those lines um, for the IMF and the support group community. So I think I was thinking of the this style of communication of something like Instagram, where there's a quick perhaps impactful visual image, which captures emotion, which captures feeling, which captures a moment in time. And I think what I was really hoping for, which did transpire in the, in the project, was that leaders could capture an image which represented resilience to them. It's very hard for us to articulate what we mean by our own resilience or what things keep us resilient. So the discipline of taking a picture of something which is what we asked them to do. All the support group leaders uh, were asked to contribute. Take a picture of something which represents resilience or makes you feel resilient. So, And that's, that captured a lot of emotion, a lot of things that actually are very difficult to articulate that we might not have captured, for example, by asking people to participate in a questionnaire or participate in an interview or even just by talking to people. So the, the idea came then to, to use the, the images to create a, a gallery display like, a, like an art gallery or like a photography display at the support group leader summit that people could walk around, that they could engage with the images and then hopefully share in the kind of collective sense of resilience. So the, the idea was very much about um, individuals contributing to something which created a sort of community resource or a particular display that everyone could participate in at the Support Group Leader Summit event. This was a, a very successful project. And as I recall, I think there were 55 pictures or thereabout that were, were sent in. And they were indeed displayed at the summit and had little uh, sayings or, or descriptions uh, associated with them. And do, do you want to lead us through what struck you about these pictures that were submitted that reflected people's feelings about re resilience? Sure. Well, yeah, going back to the, the idea of the aims, the, the, the aim 
that I had, I suppose, was to harness some of the creativity of the support group community and the, and the IMS staff as well, because I, I could see that there was creative stuff going on at the support group leader summit. People people sing, people show their, their line dancing skills and play piano. They share these ways in which they are creative together. So another aim of the project was to be creative together and to, to share something there. And again, my aim was to create something that would allow people to share hope and their creativity and then hopefully share resilience. And and, and it definitely did. And as you say, we got 55 photographs, which as they came in, Robin Tui, the, the director of the IMS Support Group Services, she would send them on to me in my in my office in Edinburgh. And so they'd come in via the email or sent directly from the support group leaders. And sitting at my desk in Edinburgh, so far away, but the, the kind of emotional connection of seeing the images was instant. So the images were all of, of all sorts of different types of things. I'm, I'm looking at some of them now. They were of grandchildren. They were of weddings. They were of travels. There was a lot of dogs. Animals, of course, are so important to us. There was jigsaws. There was plants. There was motorbikes. There was all sorts of aspects of things. And I think one of the elements that really did work was that, that people took pictures of things that, that symbolized something to them. So there were abstract pictures, which had a deep symbolic meaning. So there were plants just beginning to unfurl at the start of spring after maybe a difficult winter. So that sense of coming back, there were sunrises. So the idea that there's always a fresh day, there's always a new start, there's always opportunity. There were sunsets in, in terms of the beauty of nature. There was quite a lot of nature there in terms of the themes, donkeys, cats, uh, lots of different types of, of creatures. I think it was interesting to see cooking being part of that. And I think one of the things that I'd sort of noted about the images was that the images I felt really did create that emotional response. They did make us feel. There were beautiful images of sunset, nature, mountains and so on things that, that do make us kind of wonder at the majesty of things that are more powerful than us so there was lots of different elements in there I think the cooking was the one that I wasn't necessarily expecting but I think when I really think about it cooking of course is something that's very meditative therapeutic it can be relaxing it's also creative and it can be someone's personal gift for themselves for their family that they share so of course it helps enrich individuals resilience so there was lots of interesting things there and it really did it was a lovely thing to have them come in over email into my office in edinburgh yeah really really lovely wonderful pictures uh and uh uh, a lot of activities uh, indicating that despite the challenges that, that many of these individuals faced with their disease or in other ways, they were able to, to go to a wedding that maybe they had uh, not thought they might be uh, able to go to or, or to continue to, to cook uh, in exciting ways or, or to be able to go on vacation and enjoy uh, nature or experience, as I, I remember, uh, an, uh, an old tree in the garden of one of the leaders uh, which was an ancient tree that had survived uh, despite adversity in in New York. Uh, so so lots of different kinds of images that were there. Uh, but maybe what was surprising to me and to you, I think, is what kind of images were were not there. Yeah. So the images that weren't there, uh, just despite despite the the prompt saying they could be included, were um, images of the medical setting or pharmaceuticals or any sort of treatment. So there was nothing. I would say nothing medical in in any of the pictures. And I think uh, Robin Robin Tui kind of summed that up quite nicely when I was speaking to her about it. And she said, "Well." 
we're not we're not our myeloma. The resilience is who we really are. So one of the really nice things about the project is it allows people to get to know each other on a kind of different level, to, to see the things that might be fundamental in each other's lives through these pictures and to talk about it. So the idea of the gallery meant that people could talk about the pictures as they were moving around and share their experiences of resilience. But it was interesting about the medical setting. What what do you think of that, Dr. Jury? Well, I was impressed with it. I think to me, it sent a message that the patients uh, were saying that uh, this is who they are. They're, they're not defining who they are by the disease or the specifics of that. Uh, they're going back to who are they? Uh, and they are people who enjoy their families, who want to experience celebrations with their families, to experience uh, vacations and uh, beautiful nature and to be able to to cook a great meal together so that they were really pointing away from the disease to, to go beyond that and getting back towards a degree of normality. So it, it was it was lovely to see, quite frankly. I mean, I think for me, there was a lot of images which really made me think about the idea of the extraordinary in the ordinary. So the idea of how important our homes become and how important, you know, everyday hobbies can be, how important our connection to the people who are all around us. And I think it's interesting looking at these images today as we're here in the UK in lockdown and thinking around the appreciation of these more ordinary or simple things in our lives that we can take resilience from and we can remember how important they are to us in helping us cope with adversity. Absolutely. And this uh, strong belief in the, the, the meaning and strength of life more broadly, I mean, the, 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 it symbolizes that there is an active project to go out and experience life and enjoy life. And it's important to include that and get back to that as much as possible. Really, I mean, I have to congratulate you. This was really uh, such a, a successful and uh, emotional project and uh, really uh, made the groups and the patients think uh, a lot about these things. And th this theme has been picked up uh, in, in the months uh, since then. And as you mentioned, at this particular time, uh, when we are now faced with, with a new crisis, this COVID-19 infection, I think this I idea of resilience and how do we react to it has become even more uh, poignant yeah, and I think in, in the images, so the, the analysis that I did in the, on the images, we're looking at kind of what visual themes I could see in the images. So I took the 55 images and did a little bit of kind of cursory analysis to, to kind of group them together to see what I was seeing. Breaking those down into three different themes, there was the idea of physical re resilience, so the body and renewal, showing strength, showing achievement, and the idea of mental resilience, de-stressing, using um, hobbies, activities as a release creating space, creating peace, and then emotional resilience where there was joy and freedom and the support of others. We may not have access to all of these things at the moment. And of course, it's an incredibly frightening time for everyone worldwide, but particularly for people living with myeloma for a variety of reasons. I think there are ways in which we can be reminded to seek out resilience in day-to-day -day activities by recognizing that the process of, of cooking or just being with family and friends, of taking a walk if that's possible for people to kind of take break, to remember that emotional resilience is, is as important, I suppose, as, as the physical resilience to the whole act of being resilient. There is a strong sense of this uh, need to just retreat a little bit to kind of an inner space to to try to 
seek some calm. And we certainly need to try to do that right now, the sort of a Zen approach where we, we try to retreat and try to have a rational idea of how, how we can move forward. And But there's also uh, the idea of resilience together. And we've seen quite a bit of that where we've had group telecons and the like, where the coming together of these leaders and having a joint resilience has become something that is very important. Yeah, and I, I think well, there's this, this is a very strange time in the sense that we're all separated, mostly from our kind of wider networks, and in many cases, those who are our most beloved. But we're also connected in other ways um, with our local communities. Certainly here in the UK, there's a lot more kind of local activity going on and creating those spaces for the emotional aspect of resilience, you know, the idea of caring for others. And that's something that I also saw a lot in the resilience pictures was the fact Act of caring for others allowed people to feel resilient. Maybe not surprising coming from support group leaders who that is their, their kind of vocation, their sense of duty is to care for other people to set up these groups. But the sense of caring for others was something that did make people feel resilient. And then recognizing that not everyone can be resilient all the time, I think is another thing that's really important to talk about with resilience is that it's not always there. You know, in many situations, we do not always feel resilient and we, we need to take a break and take stock of that and know that it will return and be replenished. And seeing these pictures reminds me of the kind of simple act and the people that can enrich resilience um, in our lives. So yeah, staying connected digitally definitely helps. Right, right. You emphasize one point there, which I think is really important. Uh, the need to recharge. I think that none of us feel uh, 100% resilient uh, every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, at some point, you need to uh, step back and uh, just have some quiet time and recharge uh, so that you can focus and, and, and do the best that you can in, in the coming days. So, so Sue, um, this was obviously a very successful project that highlighted a uh, a lot of really interesting and new aspects uh, of resilience. Now, do do you have uh, ideas of of how this might move forward? I I understand that you do have a day job where uh, you are in the business school and, and and you have other things that have a priority. Uh, But are there aspects to this that that could, could be for the future? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, well, firstly, it's important to be of service and value to the myeloma community, and particularly the support group community, because they've given me so much. Uh, in a sense, you know, the, the data that I collected for my PhD is the reason I'm an academic, and that came from people who are members of an, uh, myeloma support groups and uh, who lead those groups. So I'm forever grateful to the myeloma community for my first job, for the experience, you know, the wonderful experiences uh, that I've had. It's important to me to keep contributing in whatever small way I can. Uh, That's why I'm thrilled that some of the support groups have picked up on this idea of either a gallery of resilience or a PowerPoint or creating something together which allows them to share photographs of resilience to get to know each other better and to to celebrate that. Some groups have had uh, galleries and displays in their, their local areas and they're taking it forward in their own ways. I know that one group is collecting playlists and, and music around the idea of staying strong at this particular 
particular moment in this difficult setting. So it's really nice that that's, that's gone forward. Um, for me, I think, you know, I will always want to contribute to whatever I can in the Support Group Leaders Summit. But thinking research-wise, I think it is it, probably really important to think more widely about uh, resilience in terms of not simply support group leaders, but maybe thinking about the myeloma patient population in general. So what factors contribute towards resilience? And then what are the barriers to resilience? And obviously, these can be multiple and intersectional. They're not necessarily linked to the themes that we've talked about. They can be around socioeconomic issues or education and more widely, all sorts of different aspects can contribute to how resilient individuals are. And I think, and obviously, the disease progress itself. So something quantitative could be interesting in the sense of a survey to look at what what factors contribute towards resilience and what, um, I suppose, detract from resilience. I think also it might be useful for the IMF to consider the role of support groups in resilience. So mapping out how support groups allow individuals, individual members, whether that's, again, caregivers, family members, and myeloma patients, how it allows them to be resilient. You know, an interesting question to me is, are regular attendees of a support group more resilient, for example? Or perhaps they're not, because, you know, maybe people who are not in support groups somehow are more resilient and carrying on. I, I, I suspect that's not the case. I think support group uh, must be integral to an individual's ability to cope and an ability to keep going, and therefore that sense of adapting and adversity that resilience is. So I think, you know, even looking at the impact and role in the IMF and their services in resilience. So there's lots of ways of looking at it quantitatively, which would derive that sort of kind of statistical insight, I suppose. That's um, an area that I suppose newer for me. I'm more interested in people's lived experiences and how they talk about themselves. And therefore, I'm interested in myeloma patients' advice and an insight on how to be resilient. So I think widening things out to a wider patient population to find out about what is resilience more widely and then, and then how do we hone and build resilience skills and what part does support groups in the IMF play in that? Because I know that it's, it's going to be a pretty important aspect of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So this last part, uh, how do we hone these resilience skills uh, will be uh, very broadly important moving forward right now. But uh, I think that the the idea of resilience and these concepts have really taken on a, a life of their own. And I think that this is a, a major uh, contribution uh, that that is going to be sustained and, and will continue in the, the myeloma groups uh, here in the U.S. And we're certainly trying to enhance that understanding and appreciation in the groups all around the world, as a matter of fact. So this has had a global reach. Uh, it has been a topic that has uh, resonated and people are uh, interested in, are they resilient? Uh, how can they be more resilient? Uh, uh, I think there's a intuitive understanding that it's good to try to be resilient because the outcomes can be better and, and that you can uh, do better overall and you can be able to appreciate and enjoy life. So, so Sue, I mean, I don't want to uh, to, to keep you too long. Uh, I, I've really, really appreciated uh, all these uh, insights and helpful comments about resilience. And uh, thank you for making these contributions, which have been so important to the support group leaders and uh, also, I think will be increasingly important for each of the individual uh, patients. So, so thank you uh, for for contributing to this uh, podcast today. Yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. This has been Conversations with Dr. Brian Dury. For more information about multiple myeloma and the International Myeloma Foundation, please visit myeloma.org. Thank you.